0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. May be seated. In today's Gospel, St. Luke reports that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This echoes a statement that Luke had made a few times since he first made it, eight chapters earlier, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. There, St. Luke declared, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. So from there, in Luke chapter 9, we see a shift in that gospel. The works that Jesus does over the next several chapters are various works that he does toward the end of his three-year ministry as he is making his way, as he has set his face to go to Jerusalem. For there in Jerusalem he would serve as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He would be lifted up on the cross to make the atoning sacrifice as he bore the sins of the world in his body and rendered his innocent blood as the payment for the sin of the world. And so as he makes his way to Jerusalem, as he set his face toward Jerusalem, he passes through different lands, traveling from Galilee down to Jerusalem. Between Galilee and Jerusalem is Samaria. This region was part of the northern kingdom after after the kingdom of Israel split upon Solomon's death in 931 B.C. The cities in that area were called the cities of Samaria. And then, when the northern kingdom was captured by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., the Assyrians deported the Jews that were living in that region of Samaria And they imported foreigners from other lands that they had conquered and made them, forced them to settle in the cities of Samaria. Now these new foreigners who are living in this land that is foreign to them, they began to suffer. They were getting attacked by lions. And the king of Assyria saw that. And he commanded that a Jewish priest from among their captives be sent back into the northern kingdom to Samaria to teach the new foreigners living there how to worship the true God, the God of the Jews. And so these new foreigners, these new people learned the fear of God. But yet they continued to worship their own man-made gods. And so they mingled true worship with false worship, and that continued on for generation after generation for hundreds of years until the present time in today's gospel during our Lord's ministry. You would think that the Jewish people and the Samaritans as they became known would learn to get along over the course of those 700-some years. But the two groups remained at odds with each other. As I reported last week in the parable of the Good Samaritan, they continued to, in fact, hate each other. But yet, there we are, with the Samaritans, with their false worship mixed with true worship, foreigners living in the Promised Land, and now Jesus is passing along the border between Galilee and Samaria. And what does Jesus find when he is along that border? He finds ten men, all suffering with a contagious skin disease known as leprosy. And at least one of these ten is a Samaritan. The others would be Jews. But these lepers did not hate each other, despite that ongoing animosity that had continued on going back for over 700 years. So what brought these two opposing groups together? Why were these men able to band together? Had they received some sort of sensitivity seminar? Or did they learn about diversity, equity, and inclusion? Or did they have some other tools to soften them? No, the thing that brought them together was affliction. Affliction sent by God. Because they shared a common contagious disease, because they could not be counted in the regular society and had to separate themselves, because they had to shout out unclean, unclean, to warn themselves from anyone that did not have leprosy so that they would stay away, These people, suffering affliction, put down their walls of hostility and were no longer at odds with one another. They found something that they truly had in common, and they realized that their years of opposition was meaningless. Now they depended upon one another, and they lived together as brothers." In the Bible, God has promised that he uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He uses affliction to draw opposing groups together and to help them realize that they have no reason to be erring. When life is effortless and when things are going good for us, that is when it is very easy to maintain animosity or to harbor grudges or engage in the various works of the flesh that are described in today's epistle. But when we are met with suffering, or hardship, or affliction, then we realize that life is fleeting. We recognize how good it is to make amends, how trivial grudges truly are, and how important it is to love all the various people whom God has placed in our lives. These ten lepers from differing pasts are now united due to their affliction. They did not just agree to disagree, but they together as one lifted up their voices and prayed in unison to Jesus, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, for they were in this together. And then Jesus told them to do something that seemed rather unthinkable. From the surface, it appeared that Jesus was brushing them off when he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. He didn't say words that were more commonly heard, such as, be healed. And he didn't extend his healing hand and touch them, bringing about healing for them. But instead, Jesus told these ten lepers to go. Now, He was not sending them away hopeless. You see, the law of the Old Testament in Leviticus 13 and 14 outlined the procedures that God's people had to follow when they contracted leprosy or other diseases of the skin and then what they must do when they are healed of it both when they contract the disease and when they figure they are healed from it, required examinations by the priest. So when Jesus tells them to go and show yourselves to the priests, he was indicating to them that they had good reason to go to the priest, that they would be healed of their leprosy. And so what do these ten men do? They, in faith, left our Lord's presence, and that, that recognizing that they would be healed. God, in doing this, worked two amazing acts with them, two amazing wonders. The first thing that He did is He worked saving faith in them. This saving faith wholeheartedly trusted the word of Jesus. They did not doubt. They went away in confidence that they would be healed, despite the fact that they were not yet healed. And the second thing that he had worked, of course, is the miracle of healing them of their leprosy. For as St. Luke reports, as they went to see the priest, they were healed. Both their faith and their healing are the miraculous workings of god now put yourself for a moment in their shoes would you having heard that word gone and left or would you having or would you have even had the boldness to go up to jesus and ask for his mercy when you are suffering Remember, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask him as dear children, ask their dear father. Sometimes we think that afflictions of the body are too trivial to pray about, that we should not do so. But these men boldly asked, something that we are sometimes too timid to do. We foolishly sometimes think that we're bothering God when we ask God to remove affliction from us. We become sheepish and we say, well, Lord, I want you to do this, but, 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 you know. And then we add a whole bunch of things to it, qualifiers. But we can ask him with boldness and confidence Yes, Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. And when we ask in boldness and confidence, we can have that in mind, but we don't have to articulate it every time we ask for something. And if you think that you should not ask for temporal relief, remember what St. Paul did when he had that thorn in the flesh. St. Paul reports that three times, not zero, not just once, but three times he pleaded with God that God would remove that unnamed thorn from him. God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, seeing the value of affliction, recognizing that in that case, God was not going to remove the affliction from him, despite pleading multiple times, Paul concluded, saying, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul could have found fault in God's response, thinking that God were somehow in the wrong for not having healed Paul but instead Paul trusted in God's divine plan for him and recognized that the will of God is always best. The lepers, too, could have found fault in, Paul, in, in Jesus' response. They could have grumbled that Jesus was sending them away without first healing them, but they did not. They were filled with joy over the promise of being healed, for they knew and trusted that Jesus will not fail them Or lie to them. Why do we sometimes find it so easy to find fault with the Lord's ways? He can see everything from a grand perspective, but we can only see the here and the now. God's knowledge and wisdom are infinite, but ours, of course, is very limited. In our sinfulness, we may find fault in God's law, figuring that certain sins should no longer be viewed as sins in our day. In our sinfulness, we may find fault with the church that God established or the pastors that he sends. And in our sinfulness, we may find fault in God's way of salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone, figuring there must be multiple ways. One reason why we sometimes find fault in God's ways is weak faith. We may not trust that he will do it or that his ways are the best ways for us. The lepers could have been like Naaman, who complained that he had to dip seven times in the lowly Jordan River to be cleansed of his leprosy instead of going to those mightier rivers of Syria. But the ten lepers, they were not like Naaman. They trusted firmly in the word of Christ and they trusted. That the will of God is best. We sometimes find fault with God's ways because we feebly attempt to be the ones in charge. We want things to be done the ways we want without submitting to God's wonderful and better ways. Or we do not want to see God's grand plan unfold, and He, of course, knows the future, which we do not. Often we find fault in God's ways due to our own ignorance. Refusing to hear and heed the word of God or submitting to God's wisdom, instead going to the lies of the world, we figure that God should somehow alter his plans to suit our own ignorance. Jesus also teaches us to take up our crosses and follow him, which is very hard to do. Because who wants to carry crosses? Who wants to suffer on account of being a Christian? We want things to be simple. We want things to be easy. We think that being a Christian means that everything should be rosy in this life. But the results would not be good. Just think about it. In wanting to get from point A to point B quickly, we hop in our cars and we sit instead of walking, instead of using our God-given bodies. Our inactive lifestyles then make us fat and weak. Many tout how AI can do all sorts of things for us, like conduct research, discover things, write papers, and even generate art. But if AI does that for mankind, then mankind will lose his ability and skill to think and to do. God can send afflictions, crosses, and trials to exercise our faith and to draw us to Him and to instill thanksgiving in us. St. Luke reports that only one leper returned to give thanks. Jesus identifies that one leper to be the foreigner, the Samaritan. And in thanksgiving, That cleansed leper recognized what Jesus has done for him and he desired the good thing, and that is to be in the presence of Jesus. That is what thanksgiving does. Look at what Jesus has done for you. He left his throne from above and joined his divine nature which he had in eternity In time to humanity by becoming a man, so that he is now inseparably united as God and man. And when he made his incarnation, he took on full responsibility for every sin of yours. He went to the cross and paid for all sin there, even those sins of when you figure that your way must be higher or better than God's way, or when you figure that thanksgiving is somehow unnecessary. Jesus suffered immense torture and pain as he was mocked and beaten and nailed to the cross to be crucified. And rising from the dead, he justifies you and he grants you the victory, knowing that Jesus has reconciled you to your Father in heaven and opened to you the way of everlasting life and blessing you by being added to God's holy family, do you not then desire to be like that one leper, to be in the presence of Jesus, to be giving him thanks? Our thankfulness for the saving gospel is shown most clearly when we joyfully gather in God's house each sunday sometimes figure that they sometimes people figure that they do not get very much out of the divine service that it's just the same thing same hymns from the same hymnal same bible same preaching same pastor and while that cannot be further from the truth If it were at least that, if it were true, at least a person could come to give thanks. If he got absolutely nothing, would he not, in gratitude and great joy for being redeemed, want to be here to give thanks? If you notice, the divine service is filled with words of thanksgiving, as we sang in the greater Gloria, the glory in excelsis. And as we receive the sacrament, which is often called the Eucharist, which is, comes from the Greek, for giving thanks. And of course, upon receiving the sacrament, we also return thanks in two separate occasions in Divine Service 3. We also sing words of thanksgiving in many of our hymns. And so I encourage you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, to come to God's house frequently and boldly sing with thanksgiving because of who you are, redeemed in Christ. For we have received the mercy of God and have been reconciled to God our Father in heaven. We have been met with the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gates of heaven are now open to us. These blessings are ours by grace, through our God who forgives, who baptizes us into his family and adopts us as his children. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.